On the night of February 26, 2012, Trayvon Martin, a black 17-year-old high school student, was tragically shot and killed by 28-year-old George Zimmerman in Sanford, Florida. Zimmerman was armed with a semi-automatic handgun. Trayvon was unarmed, and a week ago on July 13th, a jury acquitted Zimmerman of second-degree murder and of manslaughter charges. The decision has obviously stirred up a lot of controversy and reopened old wounds of racial tension in the United States. Pastor John, you're actually in Florida right now, having just spoken at the Campus Outreach Global Staff Conference in Orlando. And while you were at the conference, you met with 30 African-American leaders in Campus Outreach to answer their questions. And you said the first one came from a man who asked this. There's a lot of responses out there on the Zimmerman verdict, but you haven't spoken on it. What was the wisdom in not speaking after the verdict? Pastor John, what did you say to the group? Right. Let me just say, first of all, that that was an unbelievably encouraging meeting with those uh, brothers and sisters. Uh, what's happening in, in ethnic diversity and ethnic harmony, uh, intentionality in that whole area in campus outreach is one of the most encouraging things about that ministry. So just right off the bat, uh, there wasn't any you know, hostility towards me. There was a real uh, earnest, deep, wise interaction there. So uh, he, he, let me try to sum up what I said. I don't have I didn't take notes or anything on uh, ahead of time. I, I didn't know the question was going to come, but I, I have in my head some of the things that I said. The first thing I said was I didn't write anything extensive because I didn't know what to say. And, um, and I'm still perplexed, and I'm not sure what to say say uh, the, the new the new thing since I wrote about it over a year ago is that uh, mom and dad are more prominent uh, I mean that by that uh, Trayvon's mom Trayvon's dad speaking into the this situation therefore I think there's a lot of us who have kids I've got a 17 year old daughter who can now crawl inside the skin of a mom and a dad and I feel like here's a dead kid, is this it? I mean, is this just over now? Has justice been done? And you can at least empathize with the seemingly meaninglessness of it all. And so I wanted to just say, I, I, I want to be slow to speak into that where the pain is so great. And, and frankly, I'm very perplexed about the legal dimensions of it. I don't know about the, you know, stand your ground law and whether that's a wise law or not. I haven't had a chance to think through the details of what that law says, what it means, and whether it has just terrible uh, aspects to it or not. So that's the first thing I said. I was just perplexed and I, I wasn't sure. What I was sure of is that when I read Trillian Newbell and I read Al Mulder and I read Thabiti Anyabwile, what I saw in those articles seemed wise to me. And so I linked to them and, and the tip off that I gave to, to how I was feeling was I think the tweet ended with something like, uh, here are these articles on Trayvon Martin dash our son. Now that little phrase, our son at the end was, was intended to say right now, um, a lot of us simply are feeling that dimension of it. We, we've all got daughters and sons. Here's one that's been lost in a seemingly crazy, tragic and unjust way and put ourselves into those shoes or into that skin. And, and the text with regard to that, that, that's always in my mind with regard to empathy, 
is the one in Hebrews 13 where it says, um, remember those who are in prison uh, as though in prison with them because you yourselves are in the flesh. And I, whenever, when, I, when I read that text, I think, I'm in skin, they're in skin, and it's not whether it's white skin or black skin. We're in skin, human skin, and we can feel what some feel. And at least that's what we should, I think, try to do. And so when I asked the question, was justice done? Well, here's an answer that I think, <laughs> I hope everybody would agree on. George Zimmerman sinned. I listened to the 911 recording over a year ago when I wrote about this for the first time. And I, we know that the 911 responders said, we're on this. You don't need to follow him. And he followed him anyway. We know that he outweighed him by 100 pounds. We know that he had a gun and the other kid didn't. So all of these things stack up to the fact that that's not the way to go about this, George Zimmerman. Now we've got a, a verdict on not guilty with regard to manslaughter, not guilty with regard to murder, but that doesn't mean not guilty. And and this is this is true with just about every um, provocation in, in the world. And this is why... I think at this point, Christians who have a high view of the Bible and a high view of God's justice and that Jesus Christ um, is going to be the judge of all people someday have a very important message because justice will be done. It will be done. It will be done. And either the sins of George Zimmerman will be on Jesus on the cross, because George Zimmerman has humbled himself, repented of his sins, trusted in Jesus, and made him his Lord and Savior by faith, or he will suffer in hell forever for all his sins, including these. That's the choice in front of all of us, including George Zimmerman. So we all know God is in the business of seeing to it that in the end, there is nothing swept under the rug. No sin will be committed that's not punished either on the cross because Jesus bore it or in hell because we will bear it. That's the, that's the deeper response that I, Christians can bring to this. It doesn't mean you blow off the issues of whether justice needs to be done here in this world. We should work towards the most just laws we can, and we should see to it that in any case where injustice has been done, we try to redress that for the sake of justice here and now. But the reality is it's never perfect here and now, and therefore Christians have an absolutely glorious message that everybody's sin can be forgiven if they'll turn to Jesus, and those who will not have justice that way because Christ bore the just penalty, they're going to bear, bear the just just penalty. So my heart ranges over that whole range of emotions, from, from empathy to a mom and a dad who lost a 17-year-old and don't feel like... The, the sins against him have received the proper recompense all the way down to reflections on whether a stand your ground law is a just law all the way to the fact that in this case sins are committed and someday every one of those sins is going to have its proper response. 
What would you say to those who are listening and they've studied the trial, they saw an exhaustive FBI investigation uncover no history of racial animosity from Zimmerman towards blacks. In fact, Zimmerman partnered with a black friend when he opened his insurance office. He tutored black kids. He voted for Obama. He has no history of racial slurs, et cetera, et cetera. What, what would you say to those who are mystified by the racial tensions produced by this verdict? Yeah, it's not just about race, even for those who think it is about race, but, but the question still stands. And here's, here's a piece of it. And, and since I'm white, I'm clearly not able to speak with a full sense of empathy as to how the black community sees this. But one way for sure is that there is a history behind this, right? There is a long-standing sense that there's a disproportionate finding of guilt for blacks and less guilt for whites. I think that's verifiable historically. So I think every time something like this comes up, the black community takes a deep breath, holds its breath. Will there be the same disproportion again? That's, that's the backdrop against this. And here's, here's another piece of it. Right now in the news, and I wish I had the details and the names on the tip of my tongue, but I don't, but people can just track it down. There's a trial that's being juxtaposed to this one by comparison of a woman who uh, is black, and she uh, had a gun, and she was being uh, threatened. She did not shoot the threatening man. She shot either uh, you know, into the wall or into the air, presumably to scare him away. And for that shot, I think she's facing three years in prison for, I don't know what the actual charge is. Now, maybe there are more details to that, just like there are more details to this one. But when you look at that and you say, well, I mean, if, if I were black, I'd look at that and say, is that just another illustration of disproportionate finding of guilt more easily if your skin is one color than another color? So that's at least part of it. And, uh, we should, I think the president's right, President Obama is right, that the, the best we have is our judicial system and our uh, jury trials. And, and when it comes down, we have to accept it. But it, it doesn't take away the dismay. It doesn't take away the frustration. And it doesn't take away the history. So I think whites should have some ability to understand the feelings that are out there. So you were speaking to African-American Christian leaders in Orlando who are now going home to address this situation on college campuses with their people. I mean, wh- what do they do? They, they cannot simply ignore this, can they? Right. You do have to talk about this. You, you can't run away from it. And what campus outreach, that, that is what a Christian who, whose deepest burden is to lead people to Christ is, is to find the balance between addressing every issue at the level of its uh, public social media dimension and going beneath that issue to the deeper issues of what's feeding up into that issue. And we, we evangelicals can lose our, our calling and our mission by constantly getting entangled in the details of issues at uh, the popular level and fail to get to the root level. So I say there's a balance. It would be wrong to say to the person who wants to talk to you, oh, I don't talk about those things. I just talk about Jesus. No, that's not right. Jesus relates to 
everything. And therefore, we do need to listen to them, empathize with them, uh, give whatever opinion we have about the level of what we can know through the media. But then we want to say to them, you know, what I'm really about on this campus is that beneath all these issues, there's another issue of your sin and my sin, your selfishness and my selfishness, your rebellion against God and my rebellion against God. And Jesus Christ has a message of repentance and forgiveness and substitution for us on the cross so that if we would come to him, some of the root issues that are feeding into the injustices of the world can be remedied and solved. So that, that's the way I would want to encourage you know, ministers on the campus or just any Christian to deal with this, to, to, to listen, engage, but don't leave it at the level of was justice done or how would you feel if you were Trayvon's mom? But say, listen to all that, deal with all that, and then go to that deeper issue of where is all this coming from in our world? Where is it all going to lead? And Jesus has some deep, profound, glorious things to say. He's not just about transforming racism at a superficial level, as though if I could just produce some humble racists, I would be happy. He's eager to go way deeper than that, down to the place where all of our sins, whether it's racism or pride, are getting started and sever the root with faith in the finished work of Christ. Thank you, Pastor John. For more on race, please see Pastor John's book, Bloodlines, Race, Cross, and the Christian, which can be downloaded for free at DesiringGod.org. In March of 2012, Pastor John wrote an article titled Trayvon Martin, Race, and the Gospel, which can also be found at DesiringGod.org. Thank you for listening to this special episode of Ask Pastor John, a daily podcast from Desiring God in Minneapolis. I'm your host, Tony Ranke.